Number verse number 2 Number verse number 8 of chapter 2 Let's stand as we read these verses together Luke chapter number 2 and verse number 8 Beginning in verse number 8 The Bible says And there were in the same country Shepherds abiding In the fields keeping watch Over the flock by night Though the angel of the Lord came unto them And the glory of the Lord shone round about Them and they were sore afraid The angel said unto them Fear not For behold I bring you good tidings Of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. It came to pass, as the angel was gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you, Lord, for your church. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for the... The well wishes, Father, that the angel gave of, of your desire to see uh, men saved, your desire to be reconciled with sinners. And, Father, I pray that, uh, Lord, that we know that you haven't changed your mind. And, uh, Lord, that reconciliation is not just that our sins could be forgiven. Father, we could have a life of uh, walking and living and abiding with you. Uh, Lord, bless the day as we spend this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. <clears throat> we love singing. I don't know about you, I love the singing of uh, the hymns for this time of year. Uh, uh, it, uh, there's something that just uh, seems to uh, always resonate. You don't, you don't ever get tired of them. I suppose if we sang the same songs every Sunday, maybe we would grow a little cold with it. But it, uh, it's certainly special, and uh, rightly so. And uh, I hope that it, it never goes cold with you or, or you become indifferent with it. And, uh, but we've been looking at the uh, scriptures and what it has to say about uh, peace. And uh, there's a lot the Bible speaks of on that, and I, I don't know that I've done the... Uh, hit every possible point there is to be made. I guess that my, my purpose wasn't trying to make a, uh, a complete study on the word of peace, but the idea of how that it really is a part and should be a part of the Christian life. The idea of there is a Christ for peace. We know uh, that that Christ for peace was Christ on the cross for our sins. And... Uh, and that is a, um, a is a priceless thing. Uh, you know the, the scriptures speak of it as the only begotten Son of God uh, that He willingly gave Himself for our sins. So that is a a price for peace that uh, that uh, really you can't really understand it. You can't really explain it. 
um, why God would do what He's done for us. And I guess that's what makes it so special is that we, we never can get over what we call the love of God. Um, uh, we have songs that, that uh, our hymn book is full about the love of God and how we don't understand it. We can't comprehend it and uh, probably don't really appreciate it. And, uh, but there is, a, there is a price for that peace that really that is, is a path that we have to follow to get there. And uh, I hope that we're willing to say, you know, if, he, if the Lord spent and gave His only begotten Son for our uh, peace, that we would do every bit that we could do to attain to having the perfect peace that He wants us to have. Um, and that's something that I think is sometimes, for whatever reason, is out of reach for some folks. And it doesn't have to be. Um, it doesn't have to be out of your reach. So there's a, and I mentioned this uh, last week about this path and, uh, and that we need to follow, uh, that understanding and faith, the personal time that it takes, um, the idea that there has to be some uh, uh, motivation, spiritual motivation to get there. Uh, there's some intercession that takes place. Uh, I mentioned last Sunday night the idea of self-denial. It's one of the, the big things that are necessary for, uh, for that peace to be a part of your life. We have to be willing to deny ourselves. And it is dependent upon faith. Um, you know, if we want to have peace with God, we have to understand it comes through faith. Uh, it's, uh, it's something that God wants to give us. There's the idea of it's, it's unlimited to those that abide. It's not like you can only get so much. It's uh, the, the measure of peace is only limited by you. It's not limited by the Lord at all. Um, but I want to go a little farther with it today. When we mention the idea of this goodwill for men, first of all, is that when it says that it isn't just limited to people in this church, it's not limited to just Baptists, but it's opened all. When he says that he wills that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance, is is a very important key to, to that sense of peace. And when we're uh, uh, comfortable with the idea that men are dying in their sins and going to hell, then more than likely we're not going to have the peace of God that we desire, that we hunger for. It's going to be when we are as concerned about souls that the Lord is, and if you're here today and you're not certain about your own soul, if somehow that... Uh, you really don't have that sense of well-being and uh, you're a little bit uncomfortable with the idea that uh, uh, what's going to happen when this life is over. Uh, listen, that, that idea that God wants to give you peace is first and foremost on, on, on the Lord's mind. It should be on the, on the mind of every Christian here. If you didn't know it, if we're praying and we dedicate Wednesday nights for the idea that souls could be saved. We pray for missionaries. We pray for our ministries. We pray for people that are in our family that we have no comfort that they're saved, that, they're, that they know the Lord. And so if you're here without the Lord Jesus and the certainty of salvation, it's a good thing. 
If God isn't willing that any should perish, then, the, then God is going to do everything possible to see you saved. He's going to put people in your life. They're going to show you the way of salvation. He's going to put the right book in your life that are going to open to you the truth of that way that is only way to be saved. God is going to put opportunities in your life. People are going to present the opportunities. God is going to put the Holy Spirit via through individuals. If you're not aware of it, God, the Holy Spirit just doesn't float around as some inanimate being. The Holy Spirit dwells in the hearts of people that are saved. And so saved people come around you and, and they want to talk to you about the Lord and want to encourage you in the Lord. Listen, that is the Spirit of God working on your behalf to see you saved. And they're not going to work. They're going to be very proactive with the Word. They're going to say, I want to show you something from the Bible about salvation. You've got to ask yourself, do you really want the peace of God? And so if you're here, you're lost today, please pay close attention. First of all, we know that we talk about, I mentioned this, we don't have to go in debt for this time of year. Many people do. But there's no reason for debt. You think about it, if it's a really a, a gift that you want to give, then it has to be given from something you have, not something you don't have. The gift of God was something God had. Something that the Lord was willing to give that he had. He didn't go into debt for it. Listen, it's a gift is what I'm getting at. If you're not certain about salvation, it's not something you're going to get because you come to church. It's not going to be something because you went back here and you got baptized. It's not something because when the offering plates were handed out, you put a few bucks in the offering plate. That is not a gift. Salvation is a gift of God. Isn't that wonderful? We like gifts, don't we? We feel so warm and fuzzy about people that just do something special. Out of the kindness of their heart, they bring us something. And we think, well, you didn't have to do that. And they say, no, I wanted to do that. You think, well, that was so nice. Well, that's what God has done for you. He has provided for you a gift of eternal life. You've got to understand why he's offering you a gift, because of your sin. The Bible says that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, he came to what? To save it. And the idea that you don't have to be condemned, you're condemned already. You just got to acknowledge that you're condemned. The idea that, they, that you're condemned already, uh, how many of you say, well, I, have, you, have you ever told a lie? In your life, have you ever told a lie? Well, it's just a little, well, the right lie is still a lie, right? How many of you have ever had a, a very unrighteous thought in your heart about somebody else? Right? And you say, well, uh, nobody knows about it. God knows about it. I mean, ever said God's name in vain? Hmm? 
Oh, you say, well, I've never said God's name in vain. I've always been respectful of God. How many of you ever did something and you said you were a Christian, but your life didn't represent the one that you said you took his name in vain? You say, well, how many of those Ten Commandments have I broke? How many you think? You didn't just break a few, you broke all of them. He said, the Bible says if you've broken one, you've what? You've broken them all. You've violated the one Lord and Savior of heaven and earth. And so Jesus didn't come to condemn you. You're what? You're already condemned. He came to save you. He came to rescue you from your sin. There's a thing about sin is that we have this rosy view of ourselves. Because most people can't see all the uglies in us, right? It'd be terrible if we had to wear our sins on our outer garment, right? We had these little sayings, this is what I did, and this is what I did, and this is what I did. And, well, for a few of us, me, me included, would be at the top of this, there wouldn't be enough room on my clothes for all those things that I've done. How I many of you say, I like to wear a garment like that? Not for a moment, right? But listen, God sees you as that. You can't hide yourself from God. God knows you. Wouldn't you like your garments to be white? The Bible talks about He's going to give us a robe of white. Pure white. I think that's an illustration that your sins can be and should be in the eyes of God as far from the east as from the west. If you didn't know this by now, Jesus, when He paid for that sin on the cross... He paid for it all of it before you were ever born. Do you know that? He paid from the day you were born to the day you died, and he paid it all. Wouldn't you like to be forgiven of all your sins? I mean, from the day you were born to the day you died, you mean he would do that? He would forgive all, everything, even in the future? Yes, because he's already done that. There's a little hold up. You say, I knew it. I knew you were going to come to that thing that was going to mess me up. I wouldn't be able to get... The only thing God requires is that you acknowledge your sin. You come to an agreement. If you're going east and you say, I need not to be going east, I need to be going west. Or you're going north, I really need to be going south. You acknowledge your sin and say, I'm going the wrong way. The idea there, you've, you've come to yourself. You've changed your mind. I'm going to change directions. I'm going to give my life to Christ. Repentance. Well, it takes a humble person to do that. But Jesus can bring you to that. So if you're here this morning and you're not saved, I'm encouraging you in this special time, especially this time of year, Goodwill toward what? All men. Peace on earth and goodwill toward all men. That's the will of God. That's the mind of God. That's the heart of God.
But listen, it doesn't end there, not just only the forgiveness, but this idea of peace. Boy, that's, that's sometimes, though a person gets saved, though a person uh, puts their faith in the finished work of Christ, they never really receive that kind of rest and peace. I want you to look at, we talked about this, I'm going I'm to review it just a little bit. Hebrews chapter number 7. Hebrews chapter number 7. I want you to look at these verses. It talks about this idea of of peace. Hebrews chapter number 7, look at verse 1 through 3. The Bible says, in talking about the Lord and his unchangeable priesthood, he says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, blessed him, to whom Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being interpreted the king of righteousness, after that the king of Salem, which is the king of peace. To whom also, uh, verse number 3, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made life unto the Son of God, abideth what? A priest. What? Continually. I like that. That means that, that not only does Jesus save you from your sin, He wants to abide with you what? Continually. It isn't a, well, I got, say, I got a dose of salvation, now I'm going on the, and I'm going to live my life. No, I want to abide with you continually. The Prince of Peace, the one that he's talking about giving peace unto all men, it's not just a flash in the pan, but it's a sense of rest or peace that never goes away. First of all, peace is a gift. It's not something you're going to earn. It's a gift. You say, how did I get it? Well, it's a gift that God gives. You can earn it. Secondly, it's a person of peace. Remember what it says here. It says that he was the king of Salem, which is the king of what? Peace. I mean, if the king's going to give you peace, he's going to say you can't have peace, right? If he wills that you have peace, then there's nobody higher than the king that says you can't have it, even yourself. Thirdly, there's passion in peace. Sometimes we think peace is without, without any kind of uh, uh, direction or guidance. Listen, in peace there is a passion. We, if you think about it, if you think about something that you are really in love with, you have a passion for it, right? You really love your kids, you really love your wife, you really love your job, or whatever you really love. Listen, you have a passion for it. Listen, when a person receives Christ as their Savior, they enter into His rest. And listen, there's no other abiding place you'd rather be than be in that peace with Him. God wants you to have peace. He wants you to abide in peace. And He just doesn't want you to be half-hearted about it. He wants you to be passionate. There's no other place I'd rather be 
I think when we see though the um, John leaning on the breast of Christ at the Lord's Supper, I think he enjoyed that presence of Christ. No other place I'd rather be, even though it's the most challenging time in the Lord's life, he said there's no other place I'd rather be. Look at verse number 15 of chapter 7. The Bible says, And it is yet far more evident, for after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of what? An endless life. The power of an endless life. For he testifies, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is, there, there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw what? Nigh to God. What Jesus accomplished for you was better. I mean, that, this is what all of... The earth was looking forward to was this time when Christ would not just dwell on earth for a period of time for 33 years, but the power of an endless life. Life eternal, the Bible says, is to know God. That word know is an intimate term that's given for the relationship that Christ wants to have with every person here. That intimacy is something that is a, it's the, it's the passion of peace, it's the person and it's a gift, but listen, it's, for, it's the presence of peace. When Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to give you a peace that what? Passes all understanding. When God wants to give us a prince, that prince of peace, listen, you say, well, how do we have, or how do we accomplish that? I'm going to try to, as briefly as I can, give you how important this is. Really, I really believe that having this peace, this the, that the prince of peace can give, that is promised in the scriptures, that was... Uh, that, te- that testifies to our, our eternal life or uh, salvation is the, is the key, listen to me, is the key to successful Christian living. It's not just that we're saved and we're not going to have to go to hell and that we are not fear of dying and death anymore, but the idea that, that I can go through life with Jesus by my side. Never leaving nor forsaking. You think about it, and he says that's one of the earnest of your salvation. He says, when you get saved, regardless of where you're at, you said, I've been a stinker all of my life, I've, I've lived a, a very ungodly life, doing some ungodly things, and yet Christ came in to my life at that point of salvation. Isn't that a wonderful thing? He didn't wait for you. Uh, I'm going to wait a few weeks and see if you're really or, uh, serious or really if you're going to get your life right. No, he came when you, with your heartfelt desire to say, I need to get saved, he came and dwelt with you at that moment. 
What did he give you? He wanted to start at that moment giving you a sense of rest. I can remember that so clearly in my life. I never had a sense of rest in my life. I always had this fear of death and dying. And when I recognized and I saw what Christ had done, and I believe that was the presence of the Spirit of God living inside of me that said, it's over. The work is done. I finished it for you. I may know what I'm talking about. It's over. I thank God it's over. Listen, if you don't have that sense of rest about your salvation, then I ask you, what is... That is the primary element of Christ dying for you, is that you have a sense of well-being. It's all, remember, you die and tell me that always that gnawing feeling. One day she said, I've got to get this settled. And she got it settled. And it's over. The gnawing and the concern about dying and, and death and all. Hey, it's gone. Because I know Christ has given me a sense of peace and rest. I really believe that's a gift of God. You can read this book over and over and over and over and over again, but it isn't until you respond to the gospel of Christ that that gnawing about your salvation is done. And you have a sense of rest. And that comes from the presence of God. But God doesn't want us to leave it there. I want you to look, and I'm going to try to in verse, let me finish up in Hebrews chapter 27. Look at verse 22. It says, By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament, and they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by the reason of death. But this man, who's this man? Jesus. He says, But, but this man... Because he continued what? Ever hath there what? An unchangeable priesthood. An unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able to do what? To save them. I like that word. What's it say? To the uttermost. That means there's going to be a lot of things come up in your life and things that might happen to you during your life. But he says, I'm going to save them. Where? To the uttermost. Nothing's going to stop. Nothing's going to get in between us. I'm going to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercessions for them. I mean, once He becomes your Savior, He doesn't quit becoming your Savior. Once He's your intercessor, He's always your intercessor. So if you're not resting in the finished work of Christ, I have to ask you, did you receive Christ? Did you receive the Holy Spirit of God? Listen, if you responded appropriately, say, with all of my heart, I, I surrendered and gave my life to Christ. Listen, God knows. Does God know our hearts? I, I mean, really. You ever, ever tried to tell somebody something and, and they just don't believe you and they don't believe you and, and you, what else to say? I'm telling you the truth. You're being honest where? From your heart. Listen, where people can't see your heart, who can? God knows your heart. He knows if you made business with God and you, you really say, I, I don't deserve heaven, I deserve hell. And God, please, I'm, I'm, I'm just giving my 
I know what you really mean. But listen, turn with me to John chapter number 11. Jesus is preparing his disciples. He is, at that point, physically present with them. But he's preparing them. The Gospel of John is really a short... That short period of time that describes Jesus preparing his disciples when he was going to be gone. Look at chapter number 11. I want you to look down with me in verse number 32. And of course this is, he's getting ready to depart. Lazarus has passed away. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. Now was Mary saved or lost? She was saved. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. What bothered him? Lazarus dead? Oh. Lazarus was a child of God. Lazarus knew the Lord and his Savior. Listen, what he was groaning at was the way that they were responding to his death. Remember what he says. Go back. He, uh, Martha meets him first in verse 24. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. Listen, it's not something future. It's now. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Ye that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And what whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Was Lazarus dead in the eyes of God? No. He lived. He didn't have a physical body that was living, but he had a spiritual body. He rested with Christ. What troubled Jesus? He was troubled that they did not see this. Who was going to be a witness to this after Jesus was gone? To Christians. They were going to be the testimony of Christ living in us. Men living and moving and having his being. Listen, the power of peace, Jesus is going to give an example. I kind of think the Lord wasn't very happy at this moment. I don't know. We, we, we went over with you here last week. We talked about the wrath of God. Does, does God get angry with Christians? How many think He gets angry with Christians? Boy, you know what? You ever had your kids do something and you just turn around and say, Whoa, what? Why don't you grow up? You know, they do something really dumb and silly and stupid and you told them and talked to them about it and they, and they cause some grief or discontent uh, 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 in the family and you say, or maybe you don't say it, but you feel it, right? What do you think if the Lord would just say to us, Christian, why don't you just grow up? 
He groaned in his spirit. The Bible says that he wept. I'm not sure if he wept for Lazarus. He just wept for his Mary and Martha. But he was burdened. The Bible talks about it. And he mentions you that he was a resurrection. So listen, he wants you to know, see, and experience this idea of peace. You've got to have the eyes of faith. We looked at that in verse number 32. <clears throat> Through verse number 35. The burden of the experience. You want to look at verse number 36. Then Jesus said, Jesus, behold he how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused even this man that he should have not died? And Jesus therefore again what? Groaning in himself. Coming to the grave, there was a cave and the stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister, unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. And Jesus said unto her, I not, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Now, hold up a minute. How many of you have ever seen a resurrection from the dead? I haven't. Is this the only way we're going to see the glory of God? Is to see somebody resurrected from the dead? See, when, you know, if you think about it, when what the Lord is getting across here is, listen, this the burden of this experience in the presence of God was supposed to be recognized and appreciated now. He says, I'm going to show you what really this is all about. Roll the stone away. You roll the stone away. You said that, that I know in the end that he's going to be uh, he's going to be raised up to life. Roll the stone away. He stinks. You know what? I don't think they thought the Lord was going to resurrect Lazarus. I don't think they thought he could. Roll the stone away. Listen, but some of us need to ask ourselves. You say, well, what, what are you getting at, Pastor? Listen, when we have the passion of peace in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, we know it's a gift of God. We know that it's a, the person of Christ. When you live in the presence of God, we should be doing that daily, yes? And we're going to be communicating that sense of rest and peace. And we're going to be passionate about that toward others. If it's not there, do we really believe in the resurrection? Come on. If we really say, yeah, I believe that Jesus is going to raise them, then do we really believe that He can resurrect individuals today? If we believed it, we'd be carrying on with what God wants us to do. Was Jesus concerned at this moment that Mary and Martha and the others around him that believed weren't going to be able to do what he said, I want you to do? You say, where? Well, I, you know, you, this is pretty ambiguous. What are you really getting at? Listen. That kind of heart, that kind of mind, that kind of spirit is available 
to every believer, including yours truly. How many think it's necessary? How many think it's necessary? It's necessary. We are the resurrection. We are the ones that have been resurrected from the dead. We abide with Christ continually. We have a sense of rest and peace and we're passionate about what God wants to do for others. Because who lives in us? Who lives in us? Jesus. The Prince of Peace. What we read in in, in Hebrews chapter 7, that Prince, that He dwells with us. Well, I mean, we sing Emmanuel, Emmanuel. We sing that at, at, at this time of the year. What is Emmanuel? God with us. God with us. Yeah, the problem is, is do we believe it? Do we, you say, well, what do you say, Pastor? How do I get to this place where from here, of this kind of uh, 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 half-heartedness that I have, this place that I'm passionate I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. Let's see what the Lord has for us. Chapter number 12. Continuing on. Chapter number 12. Look at verse number 23. Jesus is continuing in his progress toward the cross. Mary had anointed his feet with oil. Of course, Judas had a problem with that. Notice in verse number 20, there were certain Greeks among them that came to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was at Bethsaida, of Galilee desired him saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Remember the Bible says God will draw all men to him. How many of you have ever heard, seen that verse in the Bible? You live for Jesus, God will draw men to you. You live by faith, you speak the truth, you be filled with the Spirit of God, you be passionate into the peace that passes all understanding. Notice what Jesus says. <clears throat> and there came to Philip, which was of the state of Galilee. And verse number 22, And Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. Look at the response of Christ. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come, the Son of Man shall be what? Glorified. Who did Jesus come for? Who was the first intent to try to save? The Jews. He came to the Jews, right? He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But the Bible says, many have received him, and then gave him power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He came for the Jews. But who did he leave the responsibility of the Greeks to? Hmm? Us. He says, the hour has come. The hour has come. Notice what he says here. He says that there's a pattern that he gives us here in chapter number 12. The pattern is that, listen, 
Verily I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto what? Life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me where I am. There shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will, him will my father what? Honor. Well, let me just make this as short as sweet and possible. Listen. The power of peace... God gives a pattern and a plan. The Christian has to do what? He's got to die. You say, you want to see the glory of God? You see the truth of peace in verse number 24? you got to fall to the ground and die. That means you can't be, there's nothing about you. In verse 24 through 32, it's the glory there's truth, the truth of peace, the test of peace, you see in verse number 25. He that loveth his life shall what? Lose it. You've got to make a choice. Remember when you say, I, I'm, I'm going to give my life to Christ? Then there's nothing less, else left to give to anything else, is there? Am I right? Some people want to be half in, half out. There's no peace for that. It's not God's plan, and it doesn't it doesn't pass the test. But listen, when the once the test is as as you say, well, I, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I've done. Look at verse number twenty six. If any man serve me, let him follow me. Why? Where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, let him him will my father honor. How does God show His honor? Hmm? How does He do that? He's going to manifest Himself. The Bible says He'll do that. He'll manifest Himself. What we have here, and Jesus answered in verse 32, and said, This voice came not because of me for for your sake. Now is judgment. Now is judgment of this world. For now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And if I be and if I if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Alright. How do you do that? If you lift up Christ, I lift up Christ. How do we do that? It comes from that overwhelming presence of God in your life. When Christ rules and reigns in your life and He controls your heart, your mind, your spirit, listen, things change. You say you want to see the example of that. Let's look at chapter 13. This is the end of it. But I want you to see this. Because this all unfolds. Jesus is now where? He's gone through this idea of the resurrection with Mary and Martha. Right? 
those Jews around there. He's come over here to this idea that uh, the Greeks have come to seek him out, and he says, "Listen, you got to die in order to be to to, to to see the life of Christ in your life." But he says, "I'm going to give you an example of that." Where do you start? Chapter thirteen. Verse 2. Supper being ended, the devil having put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, son to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he was come to from God and went to God, he rises from supper, laid aside his garments, and took the towel and girded himself. After he poured water into a basin, he began to what? Wash the disciples' feet. And to wipe them with the towel with he was girded. How many disciples were there at this point? Twelve. One of them was a devil. Did he wash the devil's feet? Did he? No. Did Jesus know he was a devil? He'd already entered into his heart to betray him. But he still did what? He washed his feet. Say, well, that, that isn't reasonable. That isn't, even, that isn't even sound. Why would you want to do something like that? The Bible says that he loved his disciples to the what? To the end. How could anybody do that? You say you want this Prince of Peace. Let me give you three things that I think this is it. The first thing you're going to have, if you spent that time in the presence of God, and we've gone over that, I'm not going to go over it again. Remember I told you it's it's work, right? You've got to get into the presence. You've got to labor at it. But once you get there, you're going to practice humility. Humility means that, first of all, it's not my will being done, but whose? How many ever think your will gets in conflict with God's will? How many think that happens on a daily basis? How many think you've got to deny yourself on a daily basis? How many think you've got to say no to the flesh on a daily basis? How many think you've got these uh, ugly feelings rise up in your heart about different matters in your life toward an individual, toward a situation? How many think they come up and you've got to say, well, no. He says the Prince of Peace gives us opportunities to practice. The Bible says that by our love for one another shall all men know what? That you're my disciples. You want to practice this idea of peace and rest in your heart? Right in this little assembly. Listen, if you can't love the people right here, the way you're supposed to... Listen, if you can't love your brothers and sisters in your own home, what do you think the 
idea that you're going to be able to practice what God wants you to do in this world. This is what this is. This right here is a proving ground. Look around at you. Look at the people around you. God says we're to love them. We say some of them aren't too lovable. I don't think uh, uh, Judas Iscariot was too lovable either. Jesus knew him just like he was. Are you to love them anyway? Are you to really love them? I mean, I just kind of put on airs like, oh, I'm just going to tolerate this individual. Right? Is that the way we're supposed to be? Are we really saying, I'm going to give my heart to love them? And I'm going to, I'm going to expend my energy and time and effort and money and whatever it takes to show that I really do care about my brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's the place where you prove. Not only, God says, this is where you practice. What did He tell the disciples? The Bible says, we need to go back, verse 1, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew the hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own, which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. Supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's the son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, hands, and that he was come to God and went to God, he rises from supper, laid aside his garments, took the towel and girded himself. After he poured the water into the basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh Simon Peter, then cometh he to Simon Peter, and saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus answered and answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He that is washed needeth not to save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew he should betray him, therefore said he unto ye are not all clean. So after he had washed his feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and Master have washed your feet, ye ought also to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is the seed that sent greater than than he that sent him. If you know these things, what? Half, what does it say? <laughs> you mean you might be content? You mean there might be some rest in your soul? You mean, you mean really if I just, you mean I'm going to do all these things for my brothers and sisters at Garfield Ridge Baptist Church and their family and I'm going to go way out of my way and somehow I'm going to be happy in that? Yep. I didn't say it. That's what the Lord said. 
But we've got our own ideas. <laughs> I've got my own ideas and I'm sticking with them. I kind of like doing church the way I've been doing your church all my life. Alright. Well, join the majority. That's what most people do. They got the limits of what they're going to go and how far they're going to go. But Jesus said He loved them what? To the end. Now, we don't do foot washing here. And I knew there's churches out there, they, they actually do this. I mean, I've heard churches actually. I've never been to one. I met his stinky feet out there. But I'm saying to you, there's some humility not only in washing somebody else's feet, but somebody washing your feet. How many agree with that? I know what happened here. Everybody washed their feet before they came. Right? Hell, oh, let see my toe jam. Right? Or my dirty toenails or whatever. I don't know. But I'm saying to you, we laugh, we snicker, but there's a truth in there, isn't there? We want the Prince of Peace to be in our heart. But listen, when we spend the time that is necessary, that God says, I want, that changes us to being that limited Christian, that is limited in what we will do or we think we can do, and, and we go from that limited idea of what a Christian should be to saying, God, whatever you will, you want me to wash people's feet, I'll wash them. Even if it's a Judas, I'll wash them. It's all what you want, folks. You think Christianity is limited? I think it's hindered. All because we got to be like that corn of wheat that does what? It falls to the ground and what does what? It dies. And, and I, I hope, I don't know. Do you think Jesus is looking, in a sense, if I can give you a visual and saying, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. He didn't believe in any going or dead. Yet shall he live. Do you believe that? You sometimes think the Lord looked down from heaven and said, You know, really, I'm kind of upset with you people. Really, I'm kind of angry to figure you out. You say you love me. You say you want some rest. You say you want the power of God. You say you want to reach people for Christ. But will you die to self? Be willing to say, Lord, whatever. That's a big one, isn't it? When we just say, you know, I think I think your pastor would know it. Instead of giving just what you have to give, remember, remember when you remember in the Old Testament. I'm done. Remember in the Old Testament when uh, people started getting right with God and they started making. They said uh, they needed to bring things for an offering into God, and, and they got really right with God, and they started bringing everything they possibly could as a sacrifice unto God. Then he said, "No, stay." 
be nice of God said to, to the people of Garfield Ridgestock. Remember the people of Macedonia? They gave beyond their ability to give. Isn't that amazing? You're the old saying they gave the shirt off and person back. I mean, it can happen. But they didn't do it because they had to do it because they were. They wanted to do it. I think God can make a transforming work here in our church. When close, you're lost. What I talked about in the latter part of this message probably doesn't mean much to you. But if you're lost and you're not certain about where you're going to go, you need to give your life to Christ today. You say, I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. I know I've done things I could never be forgiven for. God knows everything about me. From the top from my feet to my top of my head. He knows the beginning of my life right now. And He knows I deserve hell. I know I deserve that. I've done some grievous things. You need to give your life to Christ today. Surrender. Say, Lord, please forgive me. How many think God will forgive you? He waits for that. Let's close in prayer. Let's stand. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you are the <coughs> Prince of Peace. That it wasn't uh, <coughs> over the top when the angels praised God and saying, Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Lord, as much as we may be disappointed in ourselves Father you have never ever for a moment given up on us I'm sure you get discouraged with us at times and maybe you're beside yourself Father like you did with Mary and Martha Lord they're shining examples to us Father Father that this life is just that it's just this life it's not eternal life it's the life that Father that begins never 